Hello everyone, welcome to the 59th episode of Everyday Channel. With me tonight is, as usual, Bob Wang. Hello, hello. And after quite a long break, we also got Eric back. Hey Eric, how's it going? Hi, good, thank you. You recently moved from uh, Thailand back to Oregon, I believe. Uh, how did that go? Uh, yeah, I did. It, it, it feels like it's been a little while, but it's only been, I guess, about a month. Uh, it went pretty well. It's a long trip, getting settled in. Did you have to bring a lot of stuff with you, or did you actually leave most of your stuff back back in Thailand, like furniture-wise, or do you have like a, an actual apartment there? Um, no, I, I usually just go real cheap so I can throw or give away anything that I can't take on an airplane with me. And the past weekend, did you also give away a lot of games or matches? Because you told us you were going to win an MCQ at, I think, at the GP. How did that work out for you? Well, here, let me tell you. So what happened was, <laughs> I didn't win the MCQ. But what happened was the MCQ top eight didn't happen until the next day during day two of the GP. So if I had made the top eight, I would have been really angry. <laughs> Glad I didn't make the top eight. That's a very, very weird constellation. So are we, are we ever going to see you at the Mythic Championship anytime soon? Or are you more going to commit to the entertainment side of Magic, I want to say, in the future? Because you're going full-time streaming, right? Yeah, well, I'm going to these tournaments. I, I started out in the limited GP8 now and, and ended up not top eighting or making the Mythic Championship qualification. But it was a good start. And uh, I'm going to attempt to qualify, but mostly to help bring people to my to my stream. So yeah, I'm mostly going for the entertainment side, but also you know chasing the dream a little bit. <laughs> Great, great. And your new residency also gives you the opportunity to actually play the the legacy challenges and legacy playoffs that our other co-host has been doing pretty well in recently. Correct, Bob? Oh, yeah. I crushed it this weekend. So you went up until, the, I think it was the top four? Yep, I lost in top four to Blue Red Delver by uh, Adam Yurchik. And you were playing, I was actually surprised because usually you're known to play dark depth or like even slow depth variants, but this time you played... I just played Sneak and Show. The, I don't know, the deck that probably gets the worst rap and deservedly so in Legacy. So what what actually made you play that deck? Honestly, I just hadn't played that much Legacy lately. I had been playing some Grixis Deliver to pretty good results. So I was pretty happy with it. But then I just like looked at lists and the more I looked at them, the more I became upset with how I felt like the meta was becoming positioned for, for Rixus Delver. Like, I didn't feel like Blue-Red Delver was a good matchup because their Wastelands are much better than yours. And then I, th I saw a lot of Thalia decks creeping up, and those decks were bringing cards like Chalice of the Void and Rest in Peace. And I just didn't want to have to deal with that. So then I decided, what are my options? I, th I thought about playing something like Dredge, but I just didn't quite have the reps. I've played Dredge before, but just not very recently. And I was like, what do I have most of the cards for? You know what, I have most of Sneak and Show. I'm just going to go ahead and play that. Because I feel like it's... Ahead against Blue Red Delver, I ended up going 3-2 in the event, but I think Sneak and Show is definitely ahead. Not extremely, but definitely ahead. It does depend on your draw a little bit against the Thalia decks, but I think it's like slightly ahead against them as well. Oh, well, you, you kind of like the positioning of the deck? Yeah, I like it. I don't love it. Sneak and Show is like a deck where, where like if people start being like, oh, Elves is a good deck, or like Lands is a good deck, then you know like something's wrong and you got to put those people in their place. So how do you feel about, for example, Green White or Green White Black Maverick, the deck that has probably done the best over the past, I want to say, three or four weeks on Magic Online? Yeah, I actually think Maverick is, is a, a solid choice right now. It, it, that's almost unbelievable. We've been talking about Maverick for a while. 
but it's like literally the last time it was this good was 2010. <laughs> like it's been so long since Maverick has been one of the top choices. Does it doesn't even play that many new cards? Like I guess uh, the guy who won Stefan Schutz, he's he's very very good. He's mental misstep, and he was playing Plague Engineer, so that's a new card. But uh, I mean, obviously you have Sanctum Prelate and Palace Jailer as... I mean, those aren't even new cards, though. Like, they've been in Legacy for a couple of years now. So it, it does somewhat blow my mind that Maverick is good again, but I, I agree that it's good. How do you feel about Maverick, Eric? I think you recently improved the deck, I want to say, and played it through a league, but I don't remember that to go very well for you, did it? Maverick's never gone very well for me, but I do admit it, 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 looks, it looks good, and I try it every once in a while, but it never, never works out for me. Thali is a card that I can't win with or against. <laughs> yeah, I always hate the feeling when that happens, when you're like, you're testing a matchup, for example, and then you test both sides, and then you lose both sides, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> I can't do anything right. Um, and I, I feel the exact same way. Like, I've never really played Thalia decks, and I avoid them. I don't enjoy grindy games with complicated board states, and that's basically all Thalia decks are. So I tend to avoid Thalia and Baleful Strict de Strix decks in Legacy and play every other deck from Delver, Miracles, Depths, Sneak and Show. I'm comfortable playing most decks, but I just really avoid the really grindy decks. I'm not sure whether I would even put down Maverick as a grindy deck, because to me it always feels like it's quite the aggressive deck. I've been playing it uh, quite a bit this year, and it almost felt like I want to be really, really aggressive. It almost plays like a tempo deck in, in that regard. I want to wasteland a lot. I want to get a big knight down and attack and start pressuring the life total really soon. Maybe to me, that's the beauty of it. You you can play a grindy game, and that's generally something that really attracts me. I, wa I want to have two different ways of operating a deck. The same is true for elves, right? You can blow people out of elves, but you can also win on turn 25. And... To me, Maverick and Elves are similar in that regard, that they also share some common weaknesses. For example, neither Elves nor Maverick is really great against Sneakshot kind of decks. And both of them used to struggle with Miracles, even though it's gotten a lot better for Elves lately. And with the current iteration of Maverick, I think, there's few decks that you really are scared of. We had an interesting discussion today in, in the Legacy Friends chat group. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you if you got to read that, Bob. Uh, it was between Stefan, Cyrus, Marcus, and me. And Cyrus actually went ahead and said, I think Maverick is one of ANT's worst matchups by a lot. Which is kind of surprising because Stefan initially made a point that he thinks that Maverick is good despite being somewhat weak against ANT because people don't really play a lot of ANT. <laughs> Why are you calling it ANT? I just call it Ant. Ant is so, it's so weird to say. In German, everybody calls it Ant, and in English, everybody calls it Ant. Uh, you can and... call it Ant. It's okay. <laughs> we forgive you. Ant. That, that actually gives me some kind of Scandinavian vibe. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the deck is, is really, really well positioned. It's traditionally very, very good against Delver decks, unless the Delver decks bring an appropriate amount of hate, which they don't really have that much anymore. I've had made the same experience with Elves. Where when I won the Legacy Challenge, Humble Brags, uh, I think two weeks ago, I specifically played Elves because I felt it was decent, to, actually better than average against the blue-red versions of Delver because they're a little bit slower. They don't have as much mass removal as they could otherwise have. Maybe they're going to commit more to that in the future. And that also puts Maverick in a pretty good spot, I feel. It's it's just a, like, such an all-around great deck that has 
Thalia is traditionally good against against Dava. It has four sorts of plowshares. It plays Script Ranger, which is a great card for the matchup. Mother of Runes can be a pain in the ice for them to deal with. Uh, if you get Knight down, it's really hard for them to remove that. I think you, you bring up a really in- interesting point about Blue Red Delver. They play a lot of spot removal, like between six and seven Chain Lightning slash Lightning Bolts. But then post-board, you generally don't see too many sweepers because, the, honestly, the red sweepers are just not that good. The options are like... Blazing Volley and Electricery, and when everybody's on Arcanist, you'd rather just have another card that just kills Arcanist. So, and like, you can't really play Rough Tumble because you play True Name Nemesis and Young Pyromancer. So, it it just gets into this kind of spot where like, uh, there aren't that many great sweepers to play against elves, and even against a deck like Maverick, you're not killing Knight, which is one of the bigger creatures. But on the flip side, I don't think Knight is that good against Blue Red Delver because they just have basics all the time. I think like those matchups are all like somewhat close, but what swings it to Maverick and and D and T favor is like I was saying the sideboard cards, Chalice of the Void. I found very problematic, as well as um, Rest in Peace from Death and Taxes. Eric, how do you feel about Maverick uh, from the I want to say unfair perspective of someone who's known to enjoy that kind of magic, uh, and I guess also, well, isn't Soul? Aren't you the guy who put Soul Warden on the map for Legacy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. Um, well, I, first I want to go back to the to the Delver matchup against it. I always feel like when I'm... I, it's the reason I didn't play Delver in the MCQ, uh, and I'm glad I didn't, even though I ended up losing, because of the matchups would have been horrible for Delver. But I always feel like you have to kill Mother of Runes, you have to kill Thalia, or you can't be cantripping, and then you lose to a, to uh, to Knight of the Reliquaries. <laughs> so I, I always feel like the matchup's horrible for, Del, for Delver decks, at least when I'm playing them. Uh, and then for unfair decks, I would much rather see... I, I don't know. It, it really just depends on if they have a Caracas or not. Caracas plus Thalia can beat Crystal Brand decks like Reanimator. But if they don't have Caracas, then as long as your your hand's like medium or you win the die roll, you usually win. Uh, that being said, I've lost to it my fair amount of times. I don't really know if I'd rather face Maverick or or Miracles, for example. I, bo- I think they're both pretty good matchups, but I actually think recently I've lost to Maverick more than, than Miracles with Reanimator. Um, oh, you did? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it just kind of comes down to whether or not... If you reanimate, they, if you use the card reanimate and they have a Caracas, you often lose because you only get to draw seven and then your life totals at like four. <laughs> yeah, I guess I can imagine some weird situations where they get a big knight down and have a mother of runes and then even if you get Grizzlebrand down, it becomes really awkward because if you draw your dead to them swinging back if you can't really i'm not even sure what you what you would look to get in that situation no i've never that, that i've never seen that happen usually if they have a maverick or if they have a knight of the reliquary down then they get crocus if knight comes down i usually just concede if i haven't already done something it's that bad well i mean they 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 just get crocus i mean i guess you could try and beat them with chancellors or something i'm now playing a grave titan in my main deck because of the metagame shifts so i wouldn't necessarily concede now that i have one uh grave titan in the main but yeah, I mean, if they, they play Swords to Plowshares, I mean, yeah, you just can't beat a Knight of the Reliquary with a Gristlebrand, basically. That's something that reminds me of, of the very old rule that a friend of mine put out in actually seven or eight years ago, where, the, where he said, if Maverick ever untaps with Knight, Reanimator can never win the game. That was before the times of Gristlebrand, but even after Gristlebrand, that, that's kind of fascinating to hear, because I figured even if we get to untap with Knight, it's probably going to be really hard for us to win. And that's, it's not even really what the game is about. So like, if they're playing a Knight, then you, you're like, you've definitely just pretty much lost. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, it's already pretty pretty deep in relative terms into the game at that point. 
That's funny because I've I've seen Maverick play Layla into the Void, and I imagine if they play that card, you're even more unfavored. But uh, it's funny that like they decided they needed that much hate. So yeah, I mean, anytime you anybody anytime you get a surprise Layla into the Void, you end up being well unfavored. I think in any matchup, if it's a surprise, like if you don't expect it, that's what happened to me at the uh, the MCQ is with that card Layla. Goblins. Usually they. This is a smart goblins player. <laughs> yeah, they were ready. Yeah, usually they they play artifacts like like it's nineteen whatever or or two thousand five or whatever when goblins were good. And they're still playing the same uh, graveyard hate they were back then, and it's just not good. And uh, this guy was playing Leyland. I think maybe I should have sideboarded for it. I, I lost game one was the problem, and I didn't see Leyland until game three. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> so what i also like and it, it's kind of sad that we have to mention that but i feel like ma the green white version of maverick especially might not be that crazy expensive to buy because uh, as people know i don't really have a paper deck right now but looking at this list uh i mean i already own two savannas and that's maybe i'm a little bit Wait, out of touch with prices you don't, but I look you don't at own list. elves anymore no i don't own elves right now Wait, when did you sell it i didn't know this uh last year actually. last year so that's why he stopped going to the mkms or at least one of the reasons yeah one of the reasons the other reasons being that the payout isn't really all that great i would have actually received 200 euros like per attendance for all the tournaments in 2018 but i only went to two or three and not to the six they had and that was part of the reason but like the big reason was i wanted to commit more to content creating to streaming to producing the podcast julian i am just I'm just very... Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm kind of sad that I didn't know this. I must not be a very good friend. But I'm also just very sad that you sold your elves deck. I think you did allude to it. I th you said you like sold your deck to like pay bills at some point. But I thought this was many years ago. I didn't realize this was last year. Eric, did you know this? No, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't think you actually had mentioned it on the podcast. And now I'm just like... Julian, use that GoFundMe money or whatever you raised money for to buy Elves again. Please, you need to own it. <laughs> it's it's something that's been tempting me. I Actually, I don't know how much Elves is right now. I think it's really only about the four cradles. They should be altogether something like 800 to 1,000 euros. Um, maybe somewhere down, the, somewhere down the line. I could see it, uh, depending. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have a lot of friends. Uh, if you if you go to a big event, I'm sure you could probably put it together if that's what you wanted to play. It just makes me a little bit sad, but I'm also kind of impressed that you made responsible choices in your life, so good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I actually borrowed elves from friends and then this year and also at the end of last year to still be able to play the deck and paper tournaments. And I'm looking to go to the MKM in Frankfurt, which is going to be in August, just because it's probably going to be the biggest legacy event in Europe for another year. Uh, in, in, uh, yeah, actually, maybe even in Europe, depending on whether they do a GP or not. I'm, I'm hoping that Lyon and Nagoya, they're like the same weekend. I'm hoping that they're legacy, but I'm not kind of i'm not holding my breath it's like a double legacy weekend i could see that well yeah because they, they didn't announce a japan legacy gp and they almost always have one uh so if that happens I'm, I'm going to japan for vacation and then i'll time my vacation to be the gp so hopefully that happens how long are you going like two or three weeks um probably two weeks cool cool so yeah it would either be maverick or it would be elves for me because both decks are very very close to my heart like you, you've been hearing me talk about maverick ever since the beginning of the year that i feel that it's secretly tier one and as the metagame shapes out right now i think it might actually be and you also mentioned the two plague engineers for example in the sideboard of stefan's deck and those are said to be really really good i even know people who played uh in a main deck 
I guess I can actually ask them for a list and post them post them in the show notes. Um, I don't really have it here to view for you guys, but you you guys maybe know Mark Vogt from Germany, and he's been a die 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 hard Miracles player for pretty much ever since the deck existed, and now he recently switched to playing what he calls Grixis Miracles. He doesn't even play Miracle spells. He he just like says that to distinguish it from Grixis Control because it's a very Miracle esque version of the deck. It plays accumulated knowledge. But then it also plays two main decks, is it Static Casters, and two main deck Plague Engineers in a control deck. And that was really pri- surprising. But he's all about Plague Engineers. He, he says the card does so much. And even the matchups where you don't really get to take out a lot of stuff, the, the Death Touch still shines. It, it trades like with uh, Zombie Fishes and all that kind of stuff. So I wonder how much we're actually going to see of the card in the future because. Even in Maverick, like I've always been a proponent of not splashing black in Maverick, but with that card still around or around now, I feel like that it could be the way to go to actually splash black there and play the black engineers. It's especially nice because if you look at the card, you would think it would be a colorless and two black, but it's actually two colorless and one black, which makes it so much easier to splash. Yeah, agreed. Let's uh, let's talk about the next deck on your list. Like similar to a lot of the Grixis decks, it's the new version of Checkpile. A lot of people have been kind of comparing Renin Six to Deathrite Shaman, and so if you haven't seen Thomas Marr, he's the creator of Checkpile. He created a new Checkpile that doesn't play Deathrite Shaman, obviously, but plays Renin Six instead. So it's the same four colors, and he top aided two challenges in a row with it. Uh, it's crazy Checkpile. And like this is also a deck. I don't think he had Plague Engineers, but it's a deck that could easily play them. Um, Plague Engineer was kind of the card I rated as like possibly the best card uh, in Modern Horizons for Legacy. Now I think I've changed my list a little bit. Plague Engineer is probably like further down, like maybe number four or so. Um, but that's also kind of because of the positioning of like black mid-range decks in general. I do think they were like really underplayed when Blue Red Delver was like the thing for the first few weeks, but now I think they're coming back. So. Um, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about uh, check pile. What do you guys think of this deck? Is it like back for real? Like he plays no basic lands, but he plays Ren and Six and two wastelands. Um, so Ren and Six basically is a mana fixer because you just return your fetch lands and get all your other colors. So he's playing him to Torak, Ren and Six, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Abrupt Decay, like all these like crazy color intensive cards. That's typical Tomash Ma fashion. Ever since I've known him, he's been probably the most greedy, the greediest player ever in the game and he like you look at the deck and you see it's four colors but he still finds way for two wastelands which is probably the way to go if you want to u- really utilize run and six i think he doesn't really have anything other i guess technically you could recur any kind of land and then brainstorm them back and use a fetch land but yeah if you get run and six and wasteland going it's really really hard for decks to come back especially if there are creature decks like death and texas elves um, I've been in positions where, where I see Ren and Six and Wasteland on my opponent's side and I know that I'm actually never going to come back. The card is so, so incredibly powerful. And I'm not surprised that uh, Tomas actually went from two copies in the main deck to three copies in the main deck from one challenge to the next because uh, it seems like the card has performed really, really well for him. It's definitely the, the standout card from that set. And for the rest of the deck, uh, he also implemented two Force of Negation. So it's, it's really like one half of the deck is... You don't get to do what you want, and the other card is the other cards are all about value. He's playing two Collagen's Command, um, he plays two Him to Torch, and of course, the, the, the Planeswalker Suite that we've seen. So, if this deck gets going and you fall behind against this deck, you probably have to pull some really interesting moves to, to get back into the game, unless you're like an. 
I don't even know. Technically, if you're an unfair deck, you can just out unfair him. But that, that's the thing about Checkpile, and probably even more about this deck. If you fall behind against this deck, it's so hard to come back. Eric, how do you feel about the deck? Uh, yeah, it looks it looks good. Um, for this style of you know greedy, uh, control deck, I think that the Ren looks like it fits in quite nicely. Uh, it's basically the main win condition though, which is something I'm a little skeptical of. I think. I think it lines up really, really well against some decks and doesn't do a whole lot against against other decks. Well, he has he has like Tarmogoyf in the board. Yeah, yeah. So that that makes some sense there too. So, and I guess the decks that that it doesn't it doesn't do a whole lot against. Yeah, you have a strong sideboard for those. But yeah, no, I I think it looks great. I think uh, I I don't know if if it's something I would enjoy playing or not. It does look quite quite greedy. And I don't think Renin Six is as insane as everybody else is saying, but I do think it is definitely good and probably the best card from Modern Horizons for Legacy. Yeah, I would put it at like number three. Yeah, I would put it at number three. My top four right now are Force of Negation, number one, and then, or actually maybe even Force of Negation, number two. My number one card might surprise you guys, but I've been playing some um, Grixis midrange with Arcanist. And the card I've been most impressed with is actually Prismatic Vista. I almost I've been so impressed with this card that I've like started brewing up other like three color and even like four or five color control lists with Prismatic Vista and Arkham's Astrolabe. I think like being able to just access all your basic lands is just so incredibly powerful against decks like Lands, Delver, Thalia decks that I think it's it's very possible that a lot of these decks right now in Legacy are just completely misbuilt and should be playing Astrolabe and Prismatic Vista just because like I find it's like with Vista it's trivial to get all your all your basics online and then with Astrolabe you can even play like four colors and just go so super greedy. For example, my friend Nicholas, he was playing four or five color miracles with Mox Diamonds and Renin Six and it, and obviously had the Astrolabes and Vistas as well. I just think there's like a lot of deck building exploration that I think people have begun to do in modern. You see like some like bug snow decks or whatever, but I'm not super impressed with the snow cards. I'm just very, very impressed with the mana fixing. And I don't think anybody's necessarily solved it yet, but I think that's going to be like the next step for a lot of these legacy decks is figuring out how to play the most basis, basics possible all while still being able to play like a lot of the most powerful spells. Because right now I think like all of the three color shards have some weaknesses. Grixis in particular is kind of weak to choke, and Miracles obviously you know has a lot of the Miracles weaknesses and doesn't have proactive disruption against combo. So I don't know. I think something could possibly be out there for a four color deck using Prismatic Vista. So I'm super. I'm like trying to brew with that right now. Yeah, has, hasn't Vista um, initially been adopted by Miracles? I know that Anorak was really excited for the card, and I think he put four copies into Miracles. And most of the time, they have actually been quite happy about that because it also makes them easier. It uh, gives them easier access to Basic Mountain, which is a card they've always been looking to somehow implement in their deck. So Yeah, I mean, when, when the card first came out, people were like, oh, we're going to play in Miracles, and I was like, who cares? That deck already had good mana. But now that I've played it myself, I, I think it turns it good to like just almost perfect mana. And even a deck like Grixis, which traditionally had so-so mana, I think the mana is very good now. And the one thing with it is that I think you have to cut him to Torak. So the Grixis Arcanist list I played had like four islands, one mountain, one swamp. And every single game I got all six of those lands out, no problem. And I was just like super impressed with how good the deck was. I, I like 2-0'd against D&T and, and lands and it just felt trivial because I would just like play my basic lands, play my removal spells. 
uh, play Arcanist, play True Name Nemesis, and then they would just be dead because my card accrued so much value and there was nothing they could do to interact with Basics and True Name Nemesis. So I, I was just incredibly impressed with Prismatic Vista and I want to explore it some more. That actually sounds a lot like the the Grixis Miracle deck that Mark was playing that I told you earlier about. Um, we are actually we'll put your list in the show notes for Grixis Midrange or Grixis Arcanist for people to compare because Arcanist is a card that not only in Derva but even in those mid-rangey control versions of the deck it has been doing pretty well. I know that uh, Whiteface's Caleb Smith has also played in Miracles in the Legacy Playoffs. I played against him in the last round and like the mana for his deck didn't really work out so we didn't really have to have a really proper game but he told me that Arcanist was one of the best cards in his Miracles version. It, it was really mm-hmm. blue, white, red miracles with Arcanist, and it feels more like like a Stoneblade version that doesn't really play a Stoneforge mythic anymore, and just instead plays the Arcanist. And mm-hmm. to to me, I'm always down for that because I, f- I feel like Stoneforge is it's such a bad card. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's it's still banned in modern, right? Actually, what do you guys think? Will Stoneforge be unbanned anytime soon in modern? Just, uh, just mean, to go off on a tangent Potentially here? at some point, but. Like, Wizards cited the fact that blue-white decks are still putting up results without it. I mean, the other issue is, it's it just, I don't know how much it really adds to the format. The, the play patterns around Stoneforge Mystic aren't that interesting. It's like you kill it, or you're super far behind if you're an aggro deck. So it's just not that interesting. And how do you feel about it in Legacy right now? Because the, the, not too far ago, there was some kind of resurgence of uh, Stoneblade decks in Legacy, but we don't really see them doing too well right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious about that because like if the Stoneblade deck plays enough Verdicts, I think it's good against Blue Red Delver. It has a good mana base, uh, so I think you know possibly Stoneblade could be primed for a comeback. I guess the problem with the Stoneblade decks is that like the Grixis decks are good, and that has all traditionally been like a hard matchup. So I don't know. It's kind of like the legacy metagames in flux, and and soon we're getting M20, which I don't think that we can talk about a couple cards from the set, but I don't think M20 the cards will be very impactful. However, I think the London Mulligan is coming, and I think we didn't get to fully explore the London Mulligan with the test last go-around, and now it's here permanently, and I, I do think it's going to change uh, the metagame at least somewhat. Maybe not dramatically, but I think it will have some some effects. Eric, how do you feel about the London Mulligan? I, I, I actually, let me ask you first, are you still primarily on black red reanimator or are you switching it up a lot now for your stream because i think that's also people that's something that people would like to see out of your stream i think that you've been doing as well yeah yeah i've been switching it up quite a bit uh testing lots of stuff um playing lots of different stuff uh the london mulligan i kind of i'm a little annoyed that there's been such a big gap between when they first gave it to us and then took it away and then now they're bringing it back and the, but i just feel like i mean in the whole time that i've been a legacy player which has been for eight years or so the last six months has like the metagame has changed so incredibly much with the ban- ever since the ban of death right shaman like and then and then war of the spark and and modern horizons london mulligan taking it away adding it again it's just been like so insane <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, if it's it's definitely not a bad thing. It's just like I'd like a little bit of stability in the format, a, a tiny bit, you know, so that I can get a better feel of like what's good and, and what's not um, as far as 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I one hundred percent agree with you, but I also think it's funny we complain when it changes too much and when it doesn't change at all. But I I, th- I I'm, the issue I take more with all these changes is that the power creep was just so fast and heavy with War of the Spark and Modern Horizons. I I much prefer slower change. You know, let's get an Arclight Phoenix every set, and like that's something interesting and powerful. Not like let's get like ten new cards and they completely warp the format. Yeah. Um. So I'm kind of glad that M20 seems to have like. Uh, I don't think it has a major impact on Legacy, but I know, Julian, you want to talk about a couple cards, so we should do that. Yeah, yeah, let, let's get to that. Um, one thing I want to mention here before we move on to that, there's also a really interesting resurgence in Canadian Threshold or Rock Diver that we've seen recently, because the deck, to be honest, everybody, when Death Watch was printed, everyone last year was like, oh my god, now it's coming back big time, and it... it didn't really did it because it used to be the 55 percent against the field deck but even after death Chamber was banned it still felt like the 45 percent against the field deck which isn't really where you want to be but ever since renin 6 has been printed uh, we've seen that card uh, replace tarmogolf in in canadian threshold list and i played against it actually quite a lot on magic online recently i think i played against it more during the last two weeks than i played it all year long and Renin 6 has added a lot to it. Once again, it contributes to, to the thing that I mentioned earlier. When you feel if you're playing a creature deck and the wasteland and kill your creatures, once they untap with Renin 6, it's actually surprisingly hard to still get something going. Unless, uh, going back to Maverick, you play a big knight and actually sticks. That helps a lot. But even then, they have stuff like True Name Nemesis. And I, I feel like it, it could be... It could be better than people give it credit for right now for example there's this list that uh, xai i hope i'm not mispronouncing his name posted that when he played it i think it was from two weeks ago he went 24 and 1 in his first 25 matches which is completely outrageous and definitely an outlier statistically but it gives you some kind of idea of what the deck is actually capable of so I hope it comes back because to me, <laughs> and people have been accusing me of um, looking too much at past meta games and, and being nostalgic for them. But if, if we could get to a point where there's a really good Rock Delva deck, there's a good Canadian, uh, there's a good Maverick deck, then we are pretty close to what I consider the ideal meta Golden game. Age of Legacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Golden Age of Legacy, pretty much, <laughs> which which was like around late 2011, early 2012. So yeah, GSY has had some really good results uh, with Rug Delver, but who I consider possibly the best Rug Delver player in the world, Patrick Tierney. He actually won the Seattle MCQ with Rug Delver. I don't know if you have had a chance to look at those lists yet, but he won the MCQ, and he said to me that he he I, I literally was talking to him about, about Rug Delver like for the PT, and uh, you know that was a while ago. And then he told me like he didn't feel like the deck was playable anymore. He felt like it was too far behind against like the Grixis decks, and that it just hadn't gotten any new cards. Lo and behold, Modern Horizons comes, and Force of Negation and Renin Six are both slotting into the the deck really well because it's just what the deck needed. Just like some extra less conditional counter spells that are like especially good against uh, potentially problem cards like Punishing Fire, Life from the Loam, Past in Flames. So it has like in a little bit of extra text there, but also just Renin Six's ability to kind of fight the Thalia decks and just push even harder on the mana denial angle. Like he says, he thinks the deck is very good again. And uh, I'm planning on trying it very soon. It's, it's also really cool that Ryan 6 also answers Bayford Strix, which traditionally has also been a really big problem for the deck because it always traded favorably against whatever Rock Diver was doing while only being two mana. But Eric, you were also going to say something. I was going to say he had Ren and 6 in the sideboard, which I think is uh, something worth noting. Yeah, I think 
That, that's an interesting to, place to put it. I, I talked to Daryl about it, too, who's also a really good Rugdolver player, and he said that made the most sense to him uh, because there are some matchups where it really doesn't do that much, but then the matchups you want it, it's like your best card. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think you can justify playing it main or side, depending on your on your read on the metagame. Uh, Patrick's list is just, like, very clean, and, like, almost all the cards are going to be live game one if you play against, uh, you know, a blue deck and most creature decks, so... Mm -hmm. I'm also going to link in the show notes um, a video where Max of minmaxblog.com has a video up where he's playing that exact list. And yeah, if, if you're into that deck, definitely check that out in our show notes on itsjulian.com. But with that, let's move on to M20 previews. We've actually seen quite a lot of cards. And initially, they I spoiled had... the full set early, actually. I don't know why, because it almost comes out every Friday, but this time it came out on Tuesday. But yeah, it's spoiled. Did, did you get to look at everything by now? I, I looked at every card, and like I said, there wasn't a single card that to me was oh this is going to change the format it was just a bunch of uh, fringe playable slash sideboard upgrades um but we, we can see if you disagree no i definitely don't disagree with regards to that um i feel that the cards they printed that are interesting they don't really add anything strategically that they're not like main role players as for example arcanist would be um there's there's cards that can do stuff but they wouldn't really change the way a deck plays the card that I'm most interested in is Veil of Summer, which is an instant. But I, I want to call it the green elemental blast almost. <laughs> it's I like it. It's a green for an instant. It says, draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Spells you control can't be countered this turn. You and permanents you control gain hexproof from blue and from black until end of turn. So that card does a lot. So let's break it down, first of all. It makes your spells uncounterable this turn anyway. Depending, doesn't even matter what your opponent did. So in that regard, it kind of works like Overmaster, if you remember that card, that, that red card that pretty much it, does It's the much same. better than Overmaster because it literally reads counter target counterspell, draw a card. At the very least, if you're countering a counterspell. So like, say you play Glimpse and they play Force, you can cast Veil of Summer and then counter their Force and draw a card. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's incredibly versatile. There's just so many things it does. For example, it counters pretty much any discard spell. It counters him. It counters Thoughtseize while also drawing a card, which makes me so excited for it. Uh, it has you. It, you can utilize it against combo. You can play it really well against control decks. And technically, you could also use it in the Delver matchup. But we talked about that uh, on Facebook earlier. Um, we both don't really feel like it's that great of a thing to do against Delver. But against both control and and combo decks, uh, or let's say A and T or storm style combo decks, it's really the kind of card I really want to see. It it makes me really excited. Maybe it's also because there's an elf in the artwork. <laughs> but the card to me has so much potential. I'm definitely gonna start playing three in the sideboard. Wait, hold on. That's an elephant. It's just a. It looks He's like an elf. An elf. elf. <laughs> oh, okay. I was gonna say like, is that really an elephant? You have you have a different definition. You, I know you've been on more safaris than I have, but I thought I knew what an elephant was. Yeah, that would be a really weird elephant. By the way, yeah. they're actually looking to to clone some kind of mammoth. Uh, I, I was told. But yeah. <laughs> Let's so get back you, to you made card. a good point about about storm. Is uh, the other thing about it is like, say they. Uh, start going off and you cast Veil of Summer, they literally, they can't cast Tendrils targeting you this turn, so they pretty much need to uh, pass the turn. So, like, that's another pretty powerful application. One other application I think you didn't mention, we can use it to counter, like, removal, like, Fatal Push or Culligan's Command. So, I, I 
you you said like you you were gonna like start with three in your elf sideboard. That sounded a little bit extreme to me, but now I'm coming around to see that it's it is relevant against I guess one or two combo decks like the discard combo decks, and it's also relevant against the blue control decks. So depending on how big those decks are, I could see playing you know up to three. Yeah, yeah, up to uh, three sounds about right because four is probably pushing it quite a lot, but. Like you mentioned, it, it's so cool that you actually get the Hexproof until end of turn. It's The effect is really, really annoying for A and or Aunt to deal with, because not only do they have to discard it, which you can counter and then draw a card, they also have to pass the turn. So there's, there's a really big upside. Of course, the floor is... It doesn't really do anything, I guess. Space you control can't be countered this turn. Yeah, you can you if you're behind you can still treat it like as a as a discard spell for a force of it or something if you if you got a haymaker. So it's not that bad. But this being a sideboard card and when you're playing legacy, you're always looking for crossover cards, right? You you can have very dedicated sideboard cards and sometimes that's the correct approach. But against most decks that are not super blistering fast, you you look for sideboard cards that cover a couple of bases that are a little bit more broadly applicable. And Veil of Summer checks a lot of boxes and elves that I had problems with earlier on, so I'm really excited for that card to to be printed. Eric, do you have any thoughts about the card? In elves, I, I mean, other than Ant, where they're killing you with Tendrils of Agony, and that's a problem for elves. Like, what blue cards... Like, why would you want three cards for a blue deck? Why would you want three sideboard cards for a blue deck? Don't you have a good matchup against, like, every blue deck? <laughs> People say that about elves, but part of that is also that, that you have decent or not even decent like you, you have this card against most blue control decks which is okay but so is this card while also yeah. having an even bigger upside so you can definitely beat most blue decks without too much help from the sideboard but it's so nice to get that extra help because isn't this card just better though like you're pretty proactive you don't want to not cast your spells because you're holding this like you want to discard and then cast your your glimpse of nature or whatever i guess it, you can cast this as a as a uh uh like you said an overmaster yeah but but then it doesn't draw you a card it will most of the time draw you a card but yeah it's if you just use it as straight up overmaster it It, it doesn't make any sense to play it as overmaster though why would you not just play it as counter target counter spell draw a card that seems much better like just play your spell and if they counter it then you just counter their counter spell yeah fair basically what you're exposing yourself to is if they have two counter spells then you well, I, I guess then you're not winning anyway. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. So you're really using it as green elemental blast that also cantrips, which is it just so seems a little to reactive to me for elves when uh, for for matchups that aren't that bad for you. But uh, I do think it's a really cool card, um, and I wish that there was. I wish it was black so I could play it in Reanimator. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying you're just having card envy and you're trying to put it down. Well, I mean, I could play like one Bayou in Reanimator, but I think it's, again, I think Reanimator is like. I don't really know if I want to be playing it as an overmaster or like I've been playing Pyroblast in the in the Reanimator deck recently. But that kills uh, Narset, which can yeah, be that's why because it, it fights Narset and and Delver in play and on the stack, which is really nice as well as hitting uh, Counter Magic. But yeah, I, for splashing green for this, uh, it wouldn't work in Reanimator. I don't think, sadly. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh. Another card that probably won't really see Legacy play, I think, but some people might try out, uh, is Leyline of Combustion. It's two colorless and two red for an enchantment. It has the Leyline clause. You can put it into play if you remember during <laughs> before the game starts. And it reads, whenever you 
and or at least one permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, Leyline of Combustion deals two damage to that player. So when I first saw that card spoiled, I felt like, okay, another unplayable Leyline, great, <laughs> let's move on. Um, but it's actually not as horrible. Like, it's definitely not in, on my shortlist for the five worst or ten worst Leylines ever printed. How many lanes do we actually have? You, you must have something like... Like 15 now, I don't know. Uh, okay, <laughs> so it's definitely not a top five. Actually, is it a top five Leyline? I don't know whether it is, but what it does for Legacy, it's it's the Red Mage's version of Leyline of Sanctity against Storm, I guess, even though it doesn't really stop discard, but I guess it makes their discard more painful in that regard. And they also can't go off with this on the battlefield. I guess they can go off, but they can't kill you with this on the battlefield, but it's... Mm. I'm trying to talk up the card a little bit, but it's really not that great because... Yeah, see, this is what I'm saying. Like, let's just, like, skip all these No, wait, cards. we should say something about this. Why in the world are they still printing late? Like, hasn't anybody told them that, like, the whole pregame effects thing is, is horrible? Yeah, I agree. It's not a very fun mechanic to play again. Oh, look, my opponent opened on, like, Leyline of the Void because they mulligan to it, like... I mean, well, it's like a whole nother can of worms. A lot of, with the London Mulligan especially, like a lot of games are going to be like, who's mulliganing better and using their brain to do that rather than actually playing out the game. So it's like a sub game within a game, but it's not a particularly interesting or fun sub game. Yes, Leyline of the Void is quote unquote interactive against Reanimator, but like, is that really the kind of interactive magic we want? I don't think so. Yeah, and in paper, you have to do the whole, uh, excuse me, wait a minute, I know you're going first thing, <laughs> yeah, but <yeah. laughs> I'm actually going first here. <laughs> but Leyline of the Void actually made for one of the best magic stories that I've ever experienced. It happened at my local shop. Um, dredge Mirror, post-board, both players keep, one Dredge player goes first, land, cable therapy, Leyline of the Void. <laughs> oh, the yeah, other, I heard this one. The other guy goes, Laka, double hit. <laughs> <laughs> Discards too late. I have to point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I need like you've told the story to me multiple times, and I still don't believe you. I need some citation. I need to find those two <laughs> gentlemen and have them sign an affidavit that this is what in fact actually happened. As far as I'm aware, neither of them still plays magic anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, okay, so let's move on to uh, a card. Or do, do you want to add something more to a ley line? No, not about ley lines, but I don't want to talk about too many cards. I think we should each pick a card that we actually think will see some play and then talk about it. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go next. I want to talk about Lotus Field, which I think is actually pretty interesting. I'm not sure if it's going to see play, but I, <laughs> which I guess I'm going against my own rule. But it is very, very powerful. Uh, it reads, Hexproof on a land, enters the battlefield tap. When you enter the battlefield... Sacrifice two lands, tap, add three mana of any color. So that's basically Black Lotus. And the reason I'm excited about this card is because it's insane with Blood Sun. You literally you play Blood Sun and then you play Lotus Field, then you just have a free Black Lotus. It's like a Mishra's Workshop in Legacy. Like it just doesn't get any better than that. And the reason why I'm like excited about it over you know cards like Lotus Veil or Scorched Ruins is because it has Hexproof. The problem with playing those cards is they're they're powerful lands when you have Blood Sun, but then if your opponent has a wasteland, they just set you back so far behind and you just instantly lose the game. So whereas Lotus Field, because it has Hexproof, say you do play it and you don't have Blood Sun out, uh, it's still playable uh, as a card because they can't wasteland you. And so I, I think there's real potential here. Whenever you see a land that can add more than uh, one mana, like 
they've just generally been broken. And this one, you don't need to jump through that many hoops. You just need like two other lands on the battlefield, or if you have a blood sun out, then it's just game. So I'm I'm pretty like. Uh, like I don't think the Bloodsend decks are like great necessarily, but I think this could be like a piece to like actually put them on the map. So yeah, like like Bob mentioned, it's it's definitely playable. It doesn't expose you to wasteland, and it's also not tempo negative. It also doesn't really get you ahead tempo wise uh, because it it has that clause that Lotus Rail um, doesn't have that actually allows you to sacrifice tapped lands, tapped lands. So. If you find a way, for example, if you use flagstones of Trocar, you you basically you're ramping up a land because you get yep. to search for planes. Um, other than that, yeah, Bloodsun Bloodsun makes this broken, but it also requires you to play Bloodsun in the first place. Um, I think Bloodsun's a fine card. Like it, it cantrips and shuts shuts off a lot of utility lands, fetch lands. Playing against the uh, green red Eldrazi deck, whenever they have like a turn one Bloodsun against a blue deck, it's very very good. Well, I think what's awkward about this land is is that you can't really count it as a proper land because if you don't have Blood Sun, then you can't play it until the third turn, which could be problematic, especially if you play it in a Stompy style shell, which is supposed to do a lot with just one and two lands. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. I, I guess if you played something like, bah, dude, <laughs> help me out. I, I'm not even sure how you would construct a deck like that. That plays Blood Sun, but also a lot of very expensive spells that you need the Lotus Field for to, to ramp into, while also being good without the Blood Sun. Yeah, it's... I guess that's the problem with the card. I guess maybe there might not be a home for it, but if you get it working, it's like one of the most powerful things you can do in Legacy is one land that has for three mana, and you can do it at as early as like turn two even. Um, but, I mean, I guess I see your point that you need to build the deck so that it's not too clunky so yeah i mean you're it sounds like you're ramping into blood sun and then you have and then you have a land that ramps three more into what <laughs> i mean I, at that point are you playing you're playing like mono red sneak attack or something um yeah maybe no i think that's a good good shot but I, so i think yeah but i mean so you're playing like a bad deck to make to make a uh yeah but like if, if you're playing if you're work? playing that deck and you get blood sun lotus field you're gonna be so far ahead i mean yeah i guess if you're casting if you're actually casting uh uh, Inferno Titans off of it, then that then that seems seems like something. But yeah, uh, what Julian mentioned is it's if you don't have like a combo with it, or you don't have two lands in your hand, you can't even like keep the hand. You know, like it's not a land. It's true. Any other card that interests you, Eric, from from the ones you put together here? Uh, actually, well, I have one that you, that you didn't put on your. Oh, list. okay, bring it on. Uh, Embodiment of Agonies. I have no idea what that does. All right, this one is a... It's one black, black, flying oh, death touch. Embodiment of Agonies enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each different mana cost among non-land cards in your graveyard. For example, two in a black and one black, black are different mana costs. So my first question was, does Faithless Looting make this a 2-2? So does if a card like has flashback, is that two different mana costs? I think it is. Uh, I don't think it does because the the mana cost of the card faceless looting is red. If if the rules look at it, I'm pretty sure it it doesn't make it a two two. Among not the each different mana cost. Hmm. But I mean that yeah that's why I'm not sure. so I'm not sure anyway. I don't necessarily think this would be a faceless looting card, but I'm wondering how many things it counts because if it's if you could make it a five five pretty easily for three mana, I could see this. It's flying death touch. Um, I think this card maybe maybe not good enough for legacy, but I think it's an interesting interesting card. It's completely new and different. Hmm. Uh, 
So so let, let's just pretend it's three mana, one, one black black, five five flying, death touch. I think that card would be playable in Legacy. I don't think it would be like amazing, but there are certainly some matchups where it'd be very good. You know, any deck without Plow, like it'd be insane against Delver. It would, I'd be like potentially like in Delver, like you could play one or two. So, I mean, I think it would be like playable. What What, what is the base power in Toughness? It's a zero, zero. <laughs> Oh, all right. Never mind. Forget about it. We're, I'm done. <laughs> even if it, even at a five-five, I feel like it would be not insane, but just playable in certain matchups. So, yeah, the yeah. Thing is, it also doesn't really grow over time. It only gets the counters when it comes into play, right? Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, you, you can slam Death Touch on on some cards, especially if they have flying, and and make it a card that would never be super horrible in Legacy if the rest of your deck works out. But that's probably better options but i'm just wondering how big it i don't i, I mean like that's why i asked the faithless student question because i'm wondering how big it gets in, on turn three like in in certain decks that run you know who knows what but i i don't know exactly how it counts mana costs and how many mana costs you have in your in your graveyard on turn three. it could be like a sideboard card in the hogak deck to like i guess but then it doesn't really play around graveyard hey i don't know i just don't really see it yeah okay <laughs> Uh, one card that I want to mention, not because I think it's legacy, uh, it's actually going to be good in legacy, but because I saw a lot of people actually talk about the card and almost freak out about it until things were somewhat put into perspective, is Scheming Symmetry. It's a black for a sorcery. Choose two target players. Each of them searches the library for a card, then shuffles the library and puts the card on top of it. So what it does is it gives both players uh, a free Vampiric Tutor uh, without the life loss. And... When this was first spoiled, I saw it, especially on the Legacy A&T group, I think, or Aunt group, <laughs> where they went crazy about that. And I feel like people forgot that Personal Tutor is a card in Legacy. And Personal Tutor, if you don't know what it does, it, it's pretty much the same for a bloop, and it only searches for sorceries. So what this one does, it, you can also get LED or Ad Nauseam, which is an upside. But your opponent getting to search is also a really big deal because unless you're drawing into it right away, your opponent is probably just going to get something that answers whatever you just got. So I don't really feel like this card will really be good. I'm, I'm very open to hear different opinions on that. But seeing that personal tutor, which I actually believe to be the slightly better card overall, not seeing play, I doubt that this really is going to do anything. And Legacy, how do you guys feel about that? I agree with you. <laughs> I also agree with you. I think it looks completely unplayable. <laughs> I mean, we said the same thing about Dread Horde Arcanist, didn't we? So I'm sure we're going to... No, I didn't like read Dread Horde Arcanist. I read it to you. I thought I like, it was a Snapcaster Mage. I thought it was a Snapcaster Mage that takes a turn. Oh, you thought it was once. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we do have to go back and like listen to that podcast. I, know. I, I was like, I was like, maybe it's playable. You're like, no, it's not. And I was like, maybe no. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll move on then. <laughs> <laughs> May I, remind I mean, you? I was super wrong. <laughs> May I remind you that I actually called it out as the second best card in the set when Bob read it out because I wasn't really aware of how good it was. And then you read it to me and I freaked out about it. And I felt like, oh my God, this is going to be great. And everybody was like, uh, Julian, I don't know, maybe. All right, all right. We need to set the record straight. After this, I'm going to go straight and listen to that podcast and see exactly what we said about it. Awesome. Did, um, did anybody mention Narset in that podcast? I don't even know if Narset was spoiled. I feel like it was an uh, uncommon. 
So it could have been one of those cards that was spoiled the very last day, and we didn't get to talk about it. Because I, I don't remember he- hearing or talking about Narset until I saw it like played, and I was like, what? <laughs> that, that, that's just a Leovold. <laughs> no, this is the same thing that happened to little, literally like Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time. Like They were just not high on Wizards radar, so they didn't give them out as spoiler cards, and they came in the full spoiler on the Friday, and then uh, people started playing it then, but it wasn't like an early spoiled card that people talked about. Huh, yeah. I wonder if there's anything in, in the set, if it was just completely spoiled that we missed, but uh, if you looked through everything... I did look through the entire spoiler, and I didn't see any card. I think we already talked about the best card in the set, which I think is Veil of Summer. Uh, I think Mystic Forge is insane for Vintage. It's basically oh, Experimental yeah. Frenzy for artifacts, but I don't necessarily see it in Legacy. Uh, there's also another card called Brought Back, uh, two white for an instant. Choose two permanents that were put in your graveyard this turn and return them to the battlefield. Do you guys see any applications here? Like in modern, I guess that you could see it in Scape Shift because uh, it kind of ramps two lands really quickly. Uh, but what does it do in Legacy? Yeah, I think the the obvious one is the one you mentioned. You go turn one fetch land, turn two fetch land, and then crack it on your opponent's turn to instantly ramp to four and then untap it to five mana. It's just it requires you to not spend your mana on while well, the first and pretty much the second turn as well. And it's, I, I was a little excited when I saw it because double ramp for two mana at instant speed certainly is, is is not nothing. It's just what else does it really do? Because you probably want more applications for that uh, other than maybe rebuying a creature that died in combat. It's, yeah, I guess that's also not horrible. I'm, I'm just not sure. And also having two white in the mana cost is... It's I mean, these kinds of cards are only playable when they're completely broken, when you see like something this, like Second Sunrise. This card's looking close to broken to me. I, other than the fact that it's white-white, I think that it, that there might be some possibility that it's like a Second Sunrise that I'm not... That's I have no idea. But I think, I think in you Legacy, definitely play it with like baubles and stuff, you know? Maybe. It only brings back two. But in Legacy, I mean, yes, you can bring back two fetch lands. It's mode zero or whatever, like, that's its baseline. I mean, if, imagine if you have... I mean, Knight of the Reliquary already kind of turbos out Wastelands, but th- this plus Knight of the Reliquary does uh, two in the same turn. And, uh, I mean, two to the turn that, that you play it, you know? Two Wastelands at the same time. Yeah, double... Wa- I mean, you could just Wasteland your opponent <laughs> out of the game with this. And, yeah, and ramping yourself up to four on turn two. There's other cards that it would work with like i don't know if you're blocking with creatures like a strix for example i mean but it's white white the, the mana cost i think is it, the problem it also, with it. But like, there's returns, like so many things that it could it, possibly do and it returns them to the battlefield tap so it's not like you just get it for free oh i guess that would be broken because then you would just go like fetch fetch brought back fetch fetch brought back uh, okay that would be <laughs> that might be like if, if that happened then, then i would be like kind of interested in this card but as is i'm like not super interested <laughs> yeah the, the the only deck that really comes to mind right now, I mean, technically somebody's going to try this in Miracles where it, it's probably really not that great because they don't really have stuff going to the graveyard other than lands from the battlefield. Um, the one deck that I could feel this being... Pl- now, playable is probably pushing it, but borderline playable is Death and Texas, but Death and Texas doesn't run fetch lands, so it would really only rebuy wastelands, and it could, like create some blocking scenarios where you come out ahead because they also have a, some comes into play triggers that you could abuse again. Um, maybe it's funny. I think we just like, like we're just we got two super duper powered sets in a row that was just like absurd where they're like we're 20 plus cards that were literally playable and now we're just like handed a set. Thankfully, I'm happy that there's not too many th- cards to talk about because my brain is just like about to explode. 
I'm gonna quickly go back to Mystic Forge. You you mentioned that it's mm -hmm. probably gonna be absurd and vintage, and people have been speculating on on Twitter whether this is the card that actually puts workshops over the top and and leads to a ban or actually more like a restriction of Misha's workshop. Even though I think Wizards is even on record on mentioning how there's this pillar of the format theory that at least applies to Legacy and Vintage. Yeah, they've all but said that Brainstorm and Legacy and Bazaar and Workshops in Vintage are never going to be banned slash restricted. They've, they've pretty much said that. So I wonder how broken this card is going to be because you mentioned it's it's Frenzy. It doesn't count or like play lands, but it also has that tap clause that allows you to get rid of land of, of the top of your library and I guess the one life cost that doesn't really matter too much. So if you get that out on the first turn in Vintage, I, I can see it leading to some insane card advantage. Your opponent can't keep up. Maybe maybe it's actually... No, it, it's not even stopped by Nyrod, right? Because you, you don't need to tap it to, to, to play the cards. Correct. It is actually one of the best ways to beat Nyrod. This card is really good. Can we, can we play it in Steel Stompy and Legacy? I was thinking about how you could play it in Legacy. You would probably want to play it in some sort of like Affinity Shell or maybe Bomberan with a bunch of baubles, just turn through your deck. So I think it's probably playable. And like obviously you can just play it with Frogmites and Mirror Enforcers and stuff. But I'm not sure that it gives those decks the push it needs. Like in Bomberman, you would play it over some Karns or just a different four drop angle of attack. But. Yeah, I, I'm not super convinced about it. I've seen some desperate people play Bottle Cloister in Legacy, which probably would get replaced by this card because this card has a much, much higher upside. It, it also doesn't discard your entire <laughs> hand removed. when they destroy it. <laughs> uh, awesome. Um, with that, uh, I would like to go to um, our shorter point where we mention which decks we feel are actually well positioned in the metagame and which decks have not put up either a lot of numbers or are in a position that, that are not really doing well. I think it already goes back to a lot of things that we said earlier today. Um, for example, for me, I'm really, really feeling good about Green White Maverick, but also the, the super greedy check pile that Thomas Maris put forward. I also really... Yeah, actually, I like Elves positioning a lot more than for most time. Actually, it's probably the best time of the year to play Elves right now. Um, there's a very low amount of really broken combo decks that, that get you, other than getting a paired against Eric in the league. <laughs> I guess that happens. I also don't hate Belcher, even though Force of Negation has been printed. And, and Belcher, it's definitely not tier one, but I think it's it's decent. Like When people are doing all this, this mid-range stuff and doing... The, trying to outvalue each other. I've always felt like Belcha is, is a solid choice there. But yeah, <laughs> kill me for it. But I, I wouldn't mind playing Belcha in a big event right now. So funny you should say that. I don't like Belcher. I've always hated the deck. But uh, I, I don't know if this deck is going to be good at all. But the modern Neo Shoal deck in Legacy, I'm excited to try it with the London Mulligan. Uh, I'm going to try throwing Veil of Summer in there as a way to kind of beat the blue decks. Uh, also, you obviously have access to Pact of Negation, but I think that deck might be good with the London Mulligan. Um, I did look at the metagame, and it's like only only half the decks play Force of Will right now. Like that's pretty low. So the other thing I like about the Neo Shell deck compared to other combo decks that are like all in is it doesn't care at all about Chalice of the Void. You can play Chalice on zero, and it, it does something, but it's not it's not backbreaking. Whereas like all these decks like Belcher typically just lose incredibly hard to a Chalice on one. Whereas the Neo Shield deck doesn't even play any ones that like it necessarily needs to. So I'm actually looking at that kind of as a potential all-in combo deck post London Mulligan. Um, so I'm going to try that deck out. Decks, other decks that I like, I really like the Grixis Arcanist deck. I just want to explore more 
basic land heavy decks uh, to beat up on Delver and Thalia and lands. Um, I don't necessarily... I feel like the time to play Thalia was last week. I feel like going forward, there are going to be enough Grixis Pile decks that uh, figure out those mana bases that can prey on the Thalia decks and also be good against Delver. Um, particularly Blue-Red Delver is especially weak to like Pyroblast and Hydroblast. So I think once those cards start seeing more play, I, I do think the Delver decks go down. So I, I, I like the Pile decks. Um, I might like the All-In decks. And then beyond that, I think I do want to try Rug Delver out, but then if, if everybody's on Basics, Rug Delver doesn't sound that good to <laughs> me. None of the combo decks really appeal to me that much. Storm has a lot of issues. Like Just so many decks have permanent hate these days, even, even blue decks with Narset. Sneak and Show is solid, but not amazing, just given that I don't love the Delver matchup or the Grixis Pile matchups. Depths, I don't like playing that card against Delver decks, because, or Slow Depths at least, it has a bunch of, it, like, the, the Bobs just died with a bunch of bolts. Renin 6 is a huge problem, so I'm not a huge fan of that. So there's basically no combo deck that I, like, think is, like, great. Maybe Dredge could be really good on any given weekend, but obviously that deck can also be hated out. Um, but I do think maybe in the early weeks, Dredge and Blackbird Reanimator, if somehow people aren't prepared, I do think those decks could be like potentially among the best decks for any given weekend. But again, I'm not a fan of those decks in the long run because they can be hated out. So those are kind of the decks that I'm thinking about and have an eye on. And then there's a bunch of decks I want to try. That like there's just been so many things that have happened that I want to try. So like Matsole played like a five color <laughs> or four color Sylvan Plug deck that I want to try. Um, so, I don't know, there's just so many things to test because War of the Spark and Modern Horizons and now the London Mulligan are just creating so many new possibilities, so I'm, I'm just super excited for Legacy. Uh, Eric, anything that, that you would want to play outside of Black Red Reanimator? Anything that, that really sticks out to you as um, I do think that Black Red Reanimator is probably the best combo deck at the moment. Uh, I mean, maybe Show and Tell, I'm not sure. People aren't playing it that much, but Bob did well with it in the, in the challenge. So I have I'm not really sure about that, but I do think Black Red is. is I think I think that uh, Death Attacks as a Maverick, like you guys said, is really well positioned because, and I think it's because uh, Grixis Delvers. Well, sorry, not Grixis. People are playing UR Delver, but it's because the Delver decks are good again. So I think that's uh, what why the metagame is the way it is. I think the Chalice decks are at least the bigger Chalice decks, the ones with Eldrazi's and stuff in them, are, are not that well positioned at the moment. They're really bad against Wasteland exactly. and like Maverick. So yeah, exactly. So uh, what I'll be playing is I'm excited to, to see where the metagame ends up, so I can come up with a list, a reanimator list for where things end up. But other than that, I'm gonna keep playing Grixis Delver and I'll probably mess around with some pile. I might. I have an old four-color control list that I put together uh, when when Assassin's Trophy first came out, so I might re-explore that with Ren N6. Yeah, I think that that's those are the decks I at least have the most success with. I'm um, going to the decks that aren't really doing very well. Did you guys know that Cyrus Corman Gill, who's probably the most accomplished or successful aunt pilot of the last 12 months? He actually dropped the deck. He's actually looking to sell his foil version of the deck, and he started picking up Death and Texas and is now practicing Death and Texas because he really doesn't see Aunt being very good right now. Yeah, that's interesting. That. Yeah, I was actually quite surprised because usually people who are known for playing a special deck very, very well, they stick to it even through bad times unless it's, it's really bad. I don't know if Cyrus is looking for a change or something, but generally the impression has been that the deck isn't good. The tough thing about combo decks is like 
it's quite possible they would never be good again. Like, a deck like Death and Taxes was really bad for a really long time. Maybe over a year when Deathrite was everywhere. Well, I guess Deathrite got banned, so maybe that's not fair. But what I'm trying to say is uh, decks like Death and Taxes get new printings every so often. Decks like Storm, you might need to wait, like, five years. Yeah, somebody in the Legacy Friends chat <laughs> mentioned how Storm, I think, what's the last big card they really got they got dark petition and before that past and flames yeah it's been a while yeah. it's kind of hard to also improve on the cards they're already running because most of the cards they're running are already like really really efficient at what they're doing so unless they print a new engine it's it's gonna be hard they usually print more hate than utility for those decks Another deck that at least our friends who play the deck a lot have been somewhat down on is miracles like I've seen so much complaining about miracles how it's it's not this super overpowered deck anymore that it used to be and they're facing so much like even even narset which is seeing play in miracles is also really good against miracles and causing them headaches so how do you feel about miracles because i feel it's still playable it's actually like still a deck that that you can take to a tournament and win the tournament but it doesn't feel like even after the banning of census divining top it still had some kind of that mantra, that aura of, oh yeah, this is tier one and probably also upper tier one. It's like a really good deck. And now it really feels like one of the mortal decks. And I kind of enjoy that because overall, I think having a blue-white control deck around is pretty cool because it makes for really good matches against mid-range uh, creature decks. But it's just not that powerful anymore, is it? Yeah, I I think Miracles is one of those decks that like, it's going to be the best deck certain weekends and then, you know, kind of crap other weekends. Uh, it's a control deck. Like, you're going to need to be reactive. I do think the meta is moving towards a place where, like, if it consolidates, Miracles has a good chance. So, like, if it's just Delver, Pyle, and Thalia, like, Miracles can definitely attack that. Um, but as things are still moving around a little bit, as different decks are being built, it's it's a little bit tricky to cover all the bases. And, you know, as you mentioned, they've printed some cards that are pretty good against it. So... Uh, I'm sure it'll be around, but you know I'm fine with it not being the best deck because e even like in the past year, I think it's had more results than any other single deck, even despite the fact that you know it's it's not as crazy powerful as it used to be. But it still put up a lot of results, um, and I'm I'm okay with not it not putting up that many results anymore. Maybe we would need Eric to to improve the deck. That that that's the kind of meme, right? You you've got that that special improvement technology. I, mean, I think every time Eric plays the deck, he hates it, kind of like myself. So uh, I don't know that we're the best <laughs> uh, yeah, players. Yeah, I don't I don't miracles. love it. That's for sure. I, I've I've been saying it's. I, I hear every once in a while somebody say it's the best deck in the format, and that that only lasts for about a week before they change their mind. I think I think it's a fine control deck. I don't think it's any worse today than it was two weeks ago or, or a month ago i think uh i mean as, as since since where the sparks has come out i um i don't think it's any worse than that, that now than it was then i think it's fine um but i don't think it's like insane by any means yeah and teferi also hasn't really fully arrived in the deck like people were super high about that but i think narset is the, the big thing to come out of it so yeah it's 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 a decent deck, but it's it's not something I would feel too ecstatic about. And I actually really enjoy playing against these days, which is usually not a great sign for a control yeah. deck. <laughs> um, guys, do you do you want to add something? I think I'm good. It's pretty it's pretty late for you, Julian. We want you to go back to sleep. Yeah, it's actually three in the morning on a weekday for me. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, I've got nothing else. But thank you for working around my schedule a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's that's fine. I mean, it's actually easier now that you're in Oregon than when you were in Thailand. I think Thailand was was really hard for for both you and me. Yeah. 
So with that, I, I want to close out. I want to give shout outs to our Patreons on patreon.com slash everydayjournal, where we have Matt, Brian, and Matthew as our new Patreons. And as usual, shout outs to our Grizzle brand tier Patreons, Scott and Kurush. Thank you guys so, so much for supporting us. It really does make a difference for the running of the show. It really helps us out big time. And if you want to support the show and earn some stickers, actually the stickers arrived at my place and I just sent them out so you can get some sweet Everyday Eternal stickers or even earn a t-shirt if you support us for, for a while. So thank you so much for that. Other than that, you can finally find us again on Twitter at twitter.com slash eternalmtg. Only took me like half a year to, to get the password for that account because it's actually not that easy to, to recover from Twitter. Um, guys, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you directly or watch your streams? You can find me at twitter.com slash EWLandon. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you forget what your twitter was <laughs> i mean no oh wait it's not the, no i forgot yeah it's twitter.com slash ewlandon1 i put a one in there sometimes because uh, it was taken that's the wrong way to put it it's the wrong way yeah yeah because you you put the one there because you're number one right right nice that that's the story that you gotta say yeah i want to make sure everybody knows i'm number one yeah and twitch.tv slash ewlandon cool uh, I'm twitter.com slash grizzlepuff. I might start streaming again. I was messing around with my layout last night. Um, Honorog said he might help me out. So we'll see if I can get a good layout going. And uh, that would also be twitch.tv slash grizzlepuff. So and you can find me on twitter.com slash itschulian23 and on Twitch on twitch.tv slash itschulian. You can also check out itschulian.com where the podcast is hosted, where I post my articles and sometimes also my vid- actually <laughs> all my videos all the time. And oh yeah, by the way, Bob, if if you got a better layout, I would I would also be down for helping you because that there's a lot of potential. <laughs> so let me know if you. <laughs> I would love to see more than just your forehead while you stream. Fair enough, fair enough. That's good criticism. Also, oh, totally forgot this. I'm so sorry. Also, shoutouts to Bob who complained about not getting any shoutouts. I just wanted a shout out for uh, making top four and then getting to play in the Legacy Championship at the end of the year. I feel very special. Oh, you are, you are. Actually, for those who don't know, there's four big tournaments over the course of 2019 on Magic Online that you actually have to qualify for. And the top eight of those tournaments is going to qualify. I think that the big Legacy Championship is going to be in January next year. Yep. And it might pass down, so I think this time actually the ninth person qualified as well. So this is going to be a really, really high-stakes legacy tournament in January that I'm... I think, Eric, you're also not qualified... Or are you qualified for it? No, I didn't I didn't get to... Pl- I played the first one and scrubbed out, and then I missed this one. So I've got two more chances, I think. Would be sweet if you could get all of us on, because that tournament, it's probably not going to receive any coverage from Wizards outside of posting a deck list, but would be, it's probably going to be one of the mo- most epic tournaments in the history of the format. Winner also goes to the Mythic Championship. I was thinking about doing, like, guerrilla coverage for it. I could, like, record my matches. I could go in and record some of the other matches that are played. I could interview everybody who's playing. Um, so, I don't know. That's something we could think about together. That's actually a really interesting project. We should try to put that together because I think a lot of people... It's like a legacy invitational. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I doubt a lot of people are actually going to live stream it, but we could ask people to record and also put that together. Maybe even like on a dedicated website where people can access different, different. Yeah, that would that would be really sweet. As long as we as we also get somebody into the finals who's recording the matches, that would be really really cool. So yeah, let's work on that. Let's figure that out. And with that, I'm gonna say thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for your support. And if you want to leave us a review, you can do that. And with that. 
I'm gonna say good night. I'm gonna head to bed and I'm gonna sleep really, really well. Even though Germany is incredibly hot, we're like 35 degrees Celsius right now. I don't know that that's probably like 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. And if it's not, we're gonna hear about it in the comments. <laughs> so guys, have a good evening, have a good night, have a good morning, and see you again next time. Bye bye. Thanks. 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 <laughs>